Hey there, before we get started, I just wanted to let you know about an upcoming CrossCut event that I think you might be interested in. On April 29th, Michael Barbaro, host of The Daily, that wildly popular podcast from the New York Times, will be keynote speaker at the Headliners Gala, the live in-person event that kicks off this year's CrossCut Ideas Festival in Seattle. The gala, in case you're wondering, benefits KCTS 9 and CrossCut. Learn more and get tickets at crosscut.com gala. This is CrossCut Reports. I'm Sarah Bernard. Today, I talk with filmmaker Tan Tan about Refuge After War, a five-part docuseries she co-produced and directed for CrossCut. All the hope for 20 years, sacrifices, everything is gone. The series, which is airing right now on KCTS 9 and CrossCut.com, examines the parallels between the experiences of Vietnamese refugees following the fall of Saigon in 1975 and Afghan refugees following the fall of Kabul in 2021 as they flee their homes and resettle in Washington state. The series explores trauma, allyship, family, home, and what we can learn, or maybe should have learned, from the past. This episode is also a little different. We're not maintaining the same journalistic distance we usually do here. That's because Tan isn't just a producer on this series. As a child of two parents who fled Vietnam in the late 1970s, she is a part of that history. She's also involved in more recent events. While the docu-series is its own independent work, it grew in many ways out of a mutual aid project Tan helped launch in 2021 to help Afghan refugees arriving in Washington find housing and other resources. Through that work and her video series, she asks, is history doomed to repeat itself? Or can we hope for something different this time? So, Tan, just to start with the big questions, what drives you to tell true stories? I think that growing up in the household that I did, I saw how stories had an effect on my parents. And I saw how stories moved my dad in particular to action. And I grew up with a lot of information. My parents subscribed to the newspaper every day when I was a kid. They watched the evening news every day. My dad was uh, obsessed with Nightline. Later tonight on Nightline with Ted Koppel. And every Friday, we would gather in front of the television after Vietnamese school, and we would watch 2020. And of course, one of the most important things 2020 does are investigative reports. And I still remember the first time that we had this massive gathering because 2020, they went back to Vietnam with a young woman who had been um, separated from her parents. Um, I don't remember the exact details, but this was like a television event with like our whole neighborhood of Vietnamese refugees sitting there in the family room in front of the television screen because they were seeing themselves, they were seeing their pain on screen. And they were also seeing glimpses of their homeland, which at that time, they so many of them had fled and had not been able to go back as a kid. When you see that and just people totally enraptured and um, stuck to the screen, I think that I've always had a propensity for telling true stories. But for telling true visual stories, moments like that um, heavily, heavily influenced me. 
August 15. That was a day that uh, is going to stay with me my whole life. So August 15th, 2021, the fall of Kabul. Do you remember where you were? Do you remember learning about that news? Do you remember what you were thinking and feeling at that time? Yeah, I remember, uh, I believe that it was a Sunday or a weekend, and I remember waking up, and the first thing that I do is I pick up my phone and I take a look at social media and I take a look at what is happening. We begin with Afghanistan and the dramatic fall of the capital. I think that the journalist part of me just wants to know what are the headlines, what are the news stories of the day, what are people talking about. And I mean, I wasn't even out of bed yet and I saw what was happening and it was shocking. And I watched the news, uh, turned on the television and I saw that imagery and it was... Um, infuriating. And one of the first people that I contacted is the only person I know personally uh, in my circle who has served in Afghanistan, which is Didi Tran. She is a veteran of the Afghan war, but she's also um, like me. She's a child of boat refugees and we're really good friends. And so I just checked in on her because I just felt like this is, this is awful. This looks so bad. And because you knew Didi had been in Afghanistan, served in Afghanistan. You called her first. Texted. Yeah, I texted her. Or, or texted uh-huh. her to check in on her, see how she was feeling, hear what she thought. And I know because you say in the series, one of the first things you, you did within days was to get Didi on camera. This interview we filmed with Didi took place on August 20th, 2021, five days after the fall of Kabul. Why did you decide to do that? I think that as a journalist, as a filmmaker, I felt like this has to be documented. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with this. It just feels like there's something here. And because um, I think storytelling has been so impactful to the Vietnamese refugee experience that I felt that I think we might be seeing something similar I don't have original memories of the event itself, but I have watched so many um, documentaries and films and seen the imagery of Vietnamese people desperate to get out of Vietnam um, that it really felt to me like, gosh, we are watching history repeat itself. And I also, as a communications person, felt that we also need to share the story with the media and we need we need to get the word out. I saw that Didi was really struggling to try to do something to help the people who had helped her when she was in Afghanistan and it just felt that we needed to capture that somehow. Hello? Abdul-Jumay, how are you feeling? This group of Afghan evacuees, it felt like they need allyship and they need advocacy because they've just... They're just traumatized. They've just got to get out. So what could we do? Um, And it's not about making this about us. This isn't about, oh, my God, this is exactly like Vietnam. Um, I don't think it's that, but it was that there is a a sense of um, empathy and shared lived experience. Uh, That was just my intuition was let's go ahead and start filming something and see where this takes us with no intention of 
of this being used for anything other than perhaps it could help. Perhaps it could help refugees at some point. Within a couple days of the fall of Kabul, uh, friends and I got together and decided that we wanted to um, do, go even further. We wanted to create some kind of a project to um, try to track what was happening and to try to galvanize other Vietnamese people um, because of the shared experience that we recognized from the get-go that we had with the Afghans. And Didi was a part of this too. The initial goal was, oh, well, you know, Washington was so welcoming. And I knew that from my reporting that I had been doing over many years. I knew Washington State was very welcoming the Vietnamese refugees and that it had been the governor of Washington at the time. Governor Dan Even. Uh, in Washington, he opened the door. Uh, Governor Dan Evans, a Republican, and one of his aides, um, former Secretary of State Ralph Monroe. I knew that history, and it just felt like um, this is a time for somebody to step up and to say, these people need help. So the initial goal for us was, well, let's try to let's try to find out what the community needs and what does the resettlement community need. We were hearing that we needed to find emergency housing. And so um, my friends and I came together and said, OK, well, let's since 1975 was a pivotal year for Vietnamese. Why don't we do something kind of catchy and uh, let's try to get 75 Vietnamese refugees or family of refugees to sponsor 75 and provide emergency housing um, for 75 mm -hmm. Afghan um, evacuees. So we called it the 75 for 75 project. Washington state was one of the first to resettle Vietnamese refugees after the fall of Saigon. Now Vietnamese Americans here are offering to help. And very quickly, within a week or two, we blew through. I mean, people were so um, responsive to that. Hmm. So would you say that um, essentially the work that you were doing 75 for 75 and then the documentary work that you were doing that was kind of running in tandem that was sort of happening all at once it kind was of happening. in this chaotic yes. kind of yeah. simultaneous it was it was happening at once i yeah. mean one of the reasons before this was a film project cuz this was not supposed to be a film project i was just trying to document this for the sake of documenting mm -hmm. it but mm -hmm. i wore a lot of different hats um, starting in august of 2021 mm -hmm. and the role of the organization went from 75 for 75 to we were now viets for afghans which was a project that was very much temporary responding to an emergency crisis and um, sort of a home and a hub for people who wanted to take action and do something. Viets for Afghans, Vietnamese Americans in the Seattle area helping newly arriving Afghans and, you know, Viets for Afghans was never meant to become a full-on nonprofit. We had a fiscal sponsor, but we did, um, we took some time to sunset the project and, you know, we've tried to protect the privacy of the people that we've worked with. And so um, that's been interesting for me as a storyteller because you want to tell their story, but you also have to recognize that there's a time and a place for that. And so um, over, I would say that over the past 16 months for me, it's been, um, it's a lot of juggling and it's a lot of, it's a balancing act to um, try to do the direct work in a way that doesn't do any further harm to the people that we're actually trying to help. But also as a journalist, filmmaker, storyteller, communicator, how could you not want to um, get their stories out there? <laughs> I don't know anyone, I don't have any relative in all of the U.S. and she is uh, my old family. 
One thing that really sticks with me from the series, you know, speaking from the point of view as a journalist myself, you know, I, I think about this a lot. For example, Afghan refugees in this moment, not only are they probably suffering uh, immensely, in some cases um, they're in danger or their families are in danger. And so I was wondering how you were thinking about that during this whole process and how you're navigating that. I feel very comfortable with where we're at and how we treated the people who were gracious enough to share their stories with us. My approach to the story subjects, I was very clear about you only talk about what you want to talk about. And if I ask you a question that makes you uncomfortable, you do not have to answer. An Afghan refugee featured throughout our series Mohammed is someone who was helped by Vietz for Afghans, but I did not want him to feel that that meant that he owed, you know, this interview um, for this series. I tried to, I tried to explain to him through an interpreter and through multiple meetings before we ever turned the camera on to help him understand there's a broader story that I'm trying to tell, and we can't tell that story without our Afghan um, friends, um, brothers and sisters being willing to share their story and. He was, it, it took several visits and also having Afghan contacts also have conversations with him to, so that he could fully understand what was, what was going on and what I was asking for and also to understand my motives too. Um, and so the amount of work that went into building that trust and even then um, his first interview with us, he didn't want to be seen on camera. We actually did an interview uh, with him and we silhouetted him. And so we just went by his first name. And, um, but you know, after we did that interview, he actually, um, he'd been through that experience and then he said he actually was okay with being on camera and that he felt um, comfortable with doing that. And he also felt that there would be more power behind his words. And if he was going to share his story and going to have some agency over what he was willing to say or not say, um, that he would be willing to to show his face. He felt that that would have much more power. And so we redid the interview and we went back to him again and again and established this relationship with him. And this needed to be a process. In the, um, the very beginning of the series, you ask, what can we learn from the past in order to help refugees today? Just curious, you know, going through this whole experience as you have in the past couple of years and, and from start to finish in this documentary series, do you feel like you were able to answer the question you set out to? Yeah, I do. By the end, it was so clear that what we can learn from the Vietnamese experience is, first of all, this is not the end. It's not the end of the war. The war is just not over. And, you know, and I think it's forced me to look at my own family and the things that I've taken for granted. When my parents came, I was born here in the United States, but I was seeing my cousins were you know, both came as adolescents, as minors, unaccompanied minors. You know, in so many, so many families, it took years. There was no orderly departure program for more than 10 years. 
more than 10 years to have an official, okay, we're going to establish some official way to help those who were left behind. But by that time, imagine the amount of trauma that people have been through. And so I hope that some one the biggest lesson is, is there a way for us to establish some kind of departure program so that the families that are here can be reunited because it is causing great strain and great stress for them to be worrying about their loved ones uh, back in Afghanistan. But then also at the same time, equally important is passing something like the Afghan Adjustment Act or providing some kind of permanent residency for those who have been evacuated. Just It could be done so easily, blanket protection. I just want people to know that we've been here before and we've done something about this before. And so I know that we can do it again. As a community, I know that we can step up and, and I know that organizations can step up and help to resettle refugees. But I also believe deeply that, you know, policymakers and people in our legislature and people in Congress, it's like, you know what the right thing to do is. So do it. It shouldn't take a half million people risking their lives and dying, you know, for it. Um, it shouldn't take that kind of a toll. And I'm so mortified to see news headlines recent news headlines, you know, that show that there are boats that are washing ashore and there are boats that are capsizing off the shores of Italy carrying Afghan refugees. Officials say more than 150 people were on board. Most of the passengers were from Afghanistan, Pakistan and Somalia. Who are seeking safety and they didn't survive. You know, um, it's, it's like we're watching history repeat itself again. So... Let's not let that happen. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Tan Tan and produced by me, Sarah Bernard. Our story editor and executive producer is Mark Bumgarten. The Refuge After War video series was directed and narrated by Tan Tan and produced by Shannon Ortali. The director of photography was Bryce Yukio Adolfson. The editor was David Wolzen. The production manager was Charlie Siddons. And the executive producer was Sarah Menzies. Refuge After War is the first season of a new docu-series that features stories reflecting our region from an insider's perspective. It's called Crosscut Origins, and we are currently looking for the filmmaker who will help us create the next season. If you are a member of the Pacific Northwest or Canadian filmmaking communities and have an idea for a five-part docu-series grounded in ancestry, connection, culture, influence, and rootedness, we want to hear from you. And if we select your idea, we will provide you with $40,000 and staff support to make your series a reality. Submissions are open now until April 17th, 2023. Learn more at crosscut.com origins. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you'd like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the live events we host every month, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com slash membership. 
In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. That's also where you'll be able to watch all five episodes of Refuge After War. A new episode goes live each Saturday through April 1st. Crosscut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.